Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. And get your head knocking. Hello. So there are there are speakers in this monitor that I got, and it just tripped me out so bad because I heard myself and didn't realize that where it was supposed to come from, and it was just behind the monitor. Where are you? <laughs> I hear bugs. Come on, speaker. So I actually have a, a monitor that's a little broken, and it has a capacitor that randomly discharges like really slowly uh, in the mm-hmm. sound chip. So what will happen is out of nowhere, my monitors sound like <laughs> like a fire alarm. It'll be like, boo, boo. <laughs> and I'm like, where is it coming from? What is that sound? I'm like, I think that's the best feature. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it turns out that it's a uh, it's a known like sketchy uh, capacitor discharging, but that's annoying. Yeah, I had a friend once who had a computer case. Uh, it's called the Phantom. And it would just make random spooky noises. Uh, and sounds like a phantom to me. Yeah, just make this weird, like play this weird tone at like at random intervals. It was super weird. <laughs> what that reminds yeah. me of, though. It's like case modding back in the day. You go to lands and people would have like subwoofers like right next to their hard disk, and you'd be like, "Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah." yeah. My favorite I ever saw were LED uh, motherboard feet. Nice. <laughs> Just super next level. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Um, hey, yo, so we're uh, super excited to have um, Live Overflow with us on our show here today. He's here yeah. for that, too, which is awesome. Thank um, you. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um, yeah, so we're here. Basically, we're going to do some, uh, for people who are listening from his channel we are doing our we do a podcast called bug crowd um and it's just all basically all about hacking infosec news and we talk to some of our favorite hackers who are doing cool stuff around the world um and so we'll do a little bit of news and then we'll talk with a uh, live overflow here about what he does <laughs> maybe he'll chime in on some of our news stories as well um so yeah post in the show notes in the chat um if anybody didn't see it it's right here again and here um so yeah um so before we start off though does anybody have anything cool they did this weekend or any uh projects they've been working on you want to discuss real quick i discovered this little record shop in my town that they have a whole bunch of pinball machines and arcade cabinets in the back take quarters mm-hmm. yeah spend probably two hours there <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> pinball machines are a marvel of engineering oh yeah they're, yeah. 
there's actually some interesting software that you can, like if you're uh, into pinball, but you're like, oh, I have no space for 700 pinball machines. There's um, a project that is on the internet where you have like a 42 inch screen as the, the pinball machine. And then another screen at the back and there's software that runs on windows that emulates all these different tables. Mm-hmm. And then people build like the frame and put the bumpers and stuff. So they get, you know, get the feedback. They do the, t- you know, if you tilt, it'll, not go and stuff. It's like pretty crazy. That's sweet. Yeah, it's like a DIY thing. So it's a combination. You get to see, have a combination of like computing, software, electronics, and put it all together and build it yourself. I have no idea what it's called. I just saw one and it was sweet. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, I spent a good amount of time today um, trying to get that, um, what's it called? That TCP SAC um, DOS working. Oh, yeah. Up, um, somebody ended up. I don't even know what happened. It was somebody actually from, from Canberra uh, in Australia just started like hitting the port that I was hitting on the box that I was testing. So I just changed like the output to say like, sup Canberra, um, I'm testing something. And no one has said anything about it since then. But if you were the person who was just randomly hitting the old challenge server for um, our, C- our CTF to get into our chat, um, that was uh, that was me. So hi. <laughs> Tweet at us if that was you. What's um, up, Sylvia? <laughs> right i was just like yeah. <laughs> they were actually trying to do something weird i don't i did i have a the, the pcat file i didn't get to finish looking at it but it's uh yeah cool stuff <laughs> that's right that's where all the uh that's where a lot of the, the government employees are in canberra so sweet sweet all righty uh let's get right into the news then um so the first thing that we have in here is pretty funny um so apparently there's a battle between this group of uh of security researchers um but we're just like frustrated with the way that the WordPress forums um, work and the way that they can disclose vulnerabilities to them. So they found a couple of bones um, recently and they were in some Facebook plugins. So one of them was for me- Messenger customer chat. Um, so it's like a custom chat window for Messenger on WordPress sites. And then Facebook for WooCommerce, which both of these combined have like quite a few people, like a couple hundred thousand people that use them. And um, so apparently they just kind of were mad that the people just kept telling them that uh, they shouldn't be like releasing uh, like vulnerability disclosure on this forum here. And so they just got pissed and they just dropped another uh, two POCs for both of these uh, vulnerabilities just on the forum. Uh, I mean... It- it's pretty funny though. WordPress bugs, especially in plugins, are a dime a dozen. So, do we know? Was this actually produced by Facebook, or is it just? Yeah. Made? So Facebook had Facebook had produced these, and they I think they tried to to go through the Facebook bug bounty program, and they didn't didn't really count it because it's not in scope um, for their program for like just WordPress plugins. So then they yeah. just got kind of like frustrated with that, and then they just dropped the the POCs on the on the forum. So Facebook did maintain and release these though. I I also looked at it uh, quickly, and it looks like that this has been an ongoing thing with them and WordPress. They have disclosed vulnerabilities about WordPress plugins for a long time already. So it's not just that they were disgruntled about like this one handling here or something like this, but that this has been like an ongoing drama, apparently. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally, I totally understand it. As as much as it's as it's frustrating for the WordPress developers and the researchers who want to just, you know, disclose vulnerabilities, get them fixed, especially for stuff that's got a huge uh, user base um, for something as, as big as Facebook. 
I see where both of them come from. <laughs> yeah, this drama though, <clears throat> we've had quite a few uh, people that we know <laughs> trying to disclose. We actually have a couple of ones we're going to talk about later that the similar thing happened, but it seems to be sort of a of a trend of people just not not being satisfied with the way that that vulnerabilities are triaged and handled. There's one other interesting tidbit that I saw. Um, those researchers were also showing like a screenshot of like the, of the Facebook official like plugin website had like uh, a warning on there saying that this plugin hasn't been tested with the latest three major releases of WordPress. It may no longer be maintained or supported and may have compatibility issues used with more recent versions of WordPress. So this has been like an outdated, not used plugin anymore. And then this WooCommerce uh, plugin started to include that Facebook additional plugin as like a default installation yeah. uh, plugin. And so these researchers were also saying like, this plugin is unmaintained and this has been just added there. This is uh, terrible. I, I find this also to be a kind of significant small detail to that story. Yeah, absolutely. No, because so that's the other thing too, is that there's just like with Facebook Messenger that and the Facebook app that comes just bundled and not uninstallable on so many different Android devices. It's just one of those things where you bundle it. And if you're going to bundle software and force people to have it, you have to maintain it. There's no way that you can't. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a slap in the face to not do that. It's also the case on like, like you see on uh, a lot of mailing lists, like CV requests and stuff where people are like, Hey, have like, 10 bugs in WordPress, can I have 10 CVEs? And Miner will be like, no. And then so they're like, ah, oh, that's it. I'm going to full disclosure. And everyone's like, okay. Like that's the, yeah. kind of the, the WordPress thing, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> it's because there's just so many. It's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things where hopefully it just uh, goes away soon, but it definitely won't. <clears throat> yeah. I think what, what was uh, uh, a link we had a couple of weeks or maybe a month or so. I don't know. We had we had a link at some point that was uh, like ninety percent, ninety percent. I think maybe of what like uh, websites hacked to like WordPress, like out of like you know the PHP family of commonly used frameworks. Yeah, it does not surprise me one bit. Was, yeah, I definitely believe that. It was. It was. Yeah, it was significantly more than like. Um, I don't know. I think the second one. In Drupal or something, I don't know, whatever it was, or Magento yeah. maybe, yeah, and it was just like long. so much higher. Yeah, one of one of the you know, others, but um, yeah, because I guess so many people choose WordPress because everybody uses WordPress. I don't know. Yeah, and it's the, definitely like the easiest out of all of these. That's things. what I think. I think it's also the fact that it's so easy to set up. So a lot of people who might not have that you know, security experience at all or even awareness, they have a WordPress site. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of those things. It's a ubiquitous technology that's easy for a lot of people to use, Facebook and WordPress. So it's just, I don't know. I just feel like the, the sort of landscape of it really needs to be, I think people should <laughs> take a better look at it if they can, and researchers too. And it's like, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what the whole plugin landscape is, though, if you can actually just like say, like, yo, I'll just maintain it, because a lot of them are closed source too. So, so with the... Like, well, like W Packagist or whatever, which was also funny. It was, there was like a shell expansion in the main search on that site at some point, but um, it was disclosed. But uh, that's actually like a Composer repo so that you can use Composer to manage dependencies. That's still not going to fix your WordPress. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think one of the big things is, right, it's like when you're just adding on to someone else's stuff, right? Like you don't know how, like you don't have necessarily control or know exactly how everything else in that like ecosystem works. And there, I mean, there are very few people who are writing WordPress plugins who have, you know, audited all of you know the WordPress code because it's fucking giant and unmanageable. Uh, It's like one of those things that's bound to happen when you're just like spaghetti coding on to someone else's spaghetti code. Yeah, I guess uh, if you're looking for an alternative to WordPress, we can. There's like uh, like Pelican written in Python, which will do a static like a CMS where you write Markdown and you deploy it to like a static host, S3 mm-hmm. buckets or Octopress or uh, Jekyll. Like there's a bunch. So there's there's not like there's a lack of options out there. And for things like comments, you're like, oh, static site, no interaction. Like you've always got things like discuss or whatever. Like if discuss get owns that uh, gets owned. That's not your problem, right? So yeah, it's it's pushing off onto someone else, <laughs> but it's right. uh, I mean that's why they're there, right? Because that is a service, and you can yeah, that's mostly models. trust them. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Also, yeah, Ghost Blog is uh is pretty cool too, but I'm not a big fan of JS, but it's like the you know open source medium alternative. Oh yeah. Oh. Um... This next one, this next story here is um, pretty interesting. I guess it's, it's, I think it's the time that people are, who are writing Mirai variants are finally just smartening up a little bit. So this is by um, Campus Cody. Um, it's about the EchoBot malware. It's basically just like a super Mirai bot that just uses every exploit, which it's weird to think that there hasn't been like a time where there's not like an, or it's weird that nobody has thought of, of kind of doing a sort of an auto-pwn type of thing with uh, Mirai because there's so many exploits that can be leveraged. And it seems like a lot of Mirai variants are based around like one or two different exploits um, that might have come out recently to try to pull the most bots, I guess, from it. Um, but this one is just everything. So if you have a chance to look at it, you'll see all of your favorite uh, CVEs from like three or four years ago just rolled into one. Yeah. It's like a now, that's what I call music album, but with <laughs> CVEs and your eye. No, it's a grand reason. I think one of the reasons why we haven't seen this yet is because uh, we've needed somebody who a wants to build a botnet out of Mirai and on top of Mirai, who also has the skills to, you know, uh, create, a module that is each individual POC and has, you know, the knowledge to go, I need all of these vulnerabilities mm-hmm. added. Like it's, it's taken somebody who wants to do all this stuff and has the skills. Whereas usually we only really see someone who wants to do it or somebody who has the skills who doesn't want to do it. Um, it's yeah. kind of like writing Metasploit modules, right? Like mm-hmm. why, exactly. why do you write a Metasploit module if you can just use Python POC? Like you don't really give a shit, right? So now yeah. somebody... That, that's a huge thing. That's so. Whenever I've looked at any Mirai variants, usually the the vulnerabilities that they're using are you'll you'll look at the way that they'll they'll pass data to say like a SOAP interface for a for a remote code execution vulnerability, and then the way that they pass data to like um uh, I don't know something else that's uses like a get right. So they'll they'll just like change like the HTTP verb, but then like they'll have like other aspects of the header that are relevant to say like SOAP or um, yeah, you know, some other for- protocol, and it'll just be still in there. Which is actually it's funny. I meant to put this in the Safari Zone um, thing where Hermits um, had found had found a uh, a Mirai 
bot that had the standard output from the bot that was supposed to go to like the socket where the uh um like back to the c2 was being dumped into the telnet um uh username and password for a brute forcer so it was like oh, killing yeah. itself by by one by having all these file descriptors just overloaded and shooting them off into it's a telnet but the fact that they couldn't even see what was happening to the bot it says like successfully connected scanner has started brute forcing this IP and it's just that's the login name. <laughs> like, <laughs> pretty amazing. <laughs> um thanks <but> yeah. Stack <laughs> Overflow. <laughs> finally they're finally starting up here. I think though it's just that's probably it has to do with the fact that all like the variable names are like anime references and you you know hell different uh anime characters in there that you're just kind of assigning to different variables and casting and recasting and it just gets real messy. Yeah, I accidentally sent uh, sent it out to Naruto instead of uh... instead of Sasuke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate when you get those files scripts next time. You need uh, to be. Uh, you need to have all the knowledge about the different powers and abilities these characters have. Then all these variables make sense. It it makes perfect sense. As somebody who does like anime and looks at malware source code all the time, it's uh, <laughs> it's a trip. I'm sometimes like, why would you put these two variables together? They would hate each other in the. You know, <laughs> uh, um, don't ship those variables. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Like, I'm looking at some. There's one of the bugs that was added in this that was uh, a ubiquity <laughs> error bug, which is like the nano beams um, and a couple of the other things. So, not like the switches, not your generic APs and whatever. Because uh, mm -hmm. is separate. And this is a, like a, a CV from 2010. And I can think of like three or four like mad better ones. How like PHP. Two was running on those with like um like like per, like globals were uh like all GPC were globals so you could just like mm -hmm. LS yeah um, so there's like way better uh, like well not better but way more bugs that they could have used that would you know it's more likely that the older bugs have been patched as opposed to something a little bit newer I don't know I didn't see the point <laughs> of bothering to add that one I was like that's a really weird addition. It it's honestly always just amazing to see <laughs> stuff even gets out there. This is this is the kind of thing that cripples the internet, but it's just so terrible that it's laughable, and that's the horrible thing. It's like a baby with a gun. It's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Maggie um, Simpson. Yes. Oh <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of a next story here. I should just mention this earlier. The sad sack um, vulnerability here. Um, this is pretty interesting. Um, somebody at Netflix had found this. It's basically um, a way to, so like the SAC um, part of the TCP stack basically allows you to like, instead of saying like, I didn't receive, I only received up to like this amount of data in like a, in like a stream, I didn't receive these chunks of data. And then it's like for faster throughput for um, sending data in a stream basically. And so, um, the kernel, uh, I guess the Linux kernel, um, if you have more than like 17, I think of these structs that are supposed to hold, um, the different chunks, um, in the, uh, what's it called in like the SAC queue, basically, um, it crashes the kernel. And so you have to also play with a little bit with like the, uh, maximum segment size, which is the, um, what's it called? Like the maximum amount of data that can actually be passed within its chunk, um, and so there's a playing with some of those different those different values will just break 
uh, a Linux box. And a lot of them, I mean, every single one that I checked that I have control of has, um, has this enabled. So, so what, one of the things I, I saw though, was that, uh, this is part of, uh, the, the GSO, which was like, is a uh, general segmentation, um, as opposed to TSO. So there is a an Ethernet driver element to it as well. So not not every machine is vulnerable. There's a bunch. Um, there's mm-hmm. a. I'm I'm not sure of the exact specifics here, but there is like a, a separation of um, different Ethernet controllers that use each. So whether yeah, it's done yeah. in hardware handoff, like it, it it matters. Yeah, there's definitely some. I I was trying to get it to work. It, I don't know if I was doing it correctly. I, I, def, I was just playing with Scapy a bunch, but um, yeah, I mean, I would play with this because it seems funny um, to just kind of exhaust resources. Basically, you're just you're just making the kernel like traverse like a bunch of long linked lists that just c- contain massive amounts of data, and so yeah, it's a um, pretty fun way to uh, crash your own mach- own machine. <laughs> crash your I, machine. I noticed that it was uh, reported by Netflix, so yeah. I assume they must have run into that in production. Like that, probably like some source of just crashing oh. randomly. <laughs> Absolutely, there's no way that like some like obscure like resource exhaustion bug would come from anybody but like Netflix or Google. <laughs> so, yeah, wait for their new exclusive show. Some of the other variations that are not uh, kernel panics as well were also just. Um, uh, slowing down the machine as well as so slowing network traffic, which I think mm-hmm. is probably way more annoying to Netflix because Netflix use chaos monkey, right? Where they just pull the plug yeah. and ran. <laughs> yeah. So whereas like, instead of pulling the plug, they just slow the traffic down to, you know, N percent of uh, total throughput. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. their CD is slow as hell and everyone's watching 240p on their TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And getting all these tickets. Oh, Yes. Mm. Yeah, shout out to the team at Netflix. There was a Netflix engineer streaming the other day on Twitch, uh, trying to optimize like memory footprint of the uh, Netflix TV app. He was instrumenting the uh, the Java uh, VM that they they were using to run on as an app on on the TV, and he was trying to like change the memory allocation stuff to the to optimized that and yeah he was streaming that i thought that was pretty cool that's really cool Netflix yeah, definitely do some pretty sweet engineering mm. yeah definitely uh yo so this next one here is pretty cool too this is uh <laughs> i guess not that cool it's uh the, so i guess fit certified uh yubikeys um are not random enough so oh, okay. um so YubiKeys, if anyone doesn't know, are like little hardware tokens you can use to generate like cryptographic keys for, I guess, whatever you need to use yeah. them for. They, they do like uh, TOTP, HOTP, static strings, and other things like that. So yep. there's usually two modes where you press, you tap the button or you hold the button, and yep. each part will give you a different value. No, it's pretty cool. Um, but so the, the fifth is, uh, what does it stand for again? It's like the Federal Information Processing Standards. Basically, uh, uh, some standards that are used um, for like federal government, like military, like things that need like actually really good encryption. Um, level, so, would you say? Yeah. <laughs> um, military group. So, yeah, military grade <laughs> encryption, you need that, base 64. Um, so the, um, I guess they do some standard tests or self-tests of the hardware when it starts up, but it doesn't 
clear its buffer that holds the random values. And so the content in the self-test is like known. So it's predictable. And if you are using this for your cryptographic purposes, um, you're just kind of at some certain time sending um, like very not random data uh, over there. And you can predict that and use that. I believe it was three captures. If you captured it three or four times, it was a very, very low number that you could then predict the seed. Yeah, it was three times. But the thing that's interesting is also they have you know, firmware versions that are vulnerable. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, in theory, I okay. guess, reflash it. Well, no, you actually you need a hardware upgrade. <coughs> so you actually get a free hardware upgrade if you're affected. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, so this is this is a cool thing. This actually happened to me last time they did a hard, free hardware upgrade. Um, so I had a YubiKey. I was using it for a while. Uh, bug comes out, put in serial number for YubiKey, right? But the old YubiKey is still good. It doesn't. It's just broken in this one aspect that's not promised. So if you're going to use it for like static strings or holding other secrets that you maybe need, like less secure things that you don't need to use it, uh, the FIPS compliance stuff for, it's still uh, you know get a free YubiKey. And use the old one as yeah, a, I mean, a different key. Two things. One, I move by YubiKey. It's really nice that they're doing the replacement. But also, you know, not everyone has that use case of, you know, someone's trying to like capture three different things. If you're just using it to replace, you know, SMS two factor, I don't think it's too terrible to still keep around. No, definitely not. Like it's, uh, it's still a hardware token that needs to be taken from you, or at least it's data. So yeah. if you get fished three times, the YubiKeys hasn't saved you anyway. You know, eventually <laughs> 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 fished three times, you've already fucked up. Like, That's true. Yeah, but I, yeah, it definitely has a use, and I think it's real great that YubiKey is sticking through and replacing them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so anybody see this before it got deleted Samsung um, tweeting out that you should scan your smart TV for malware every few weeks I think you should go to the pawn shop and get a regular fucking TV (laughs) find one you have to just use their antivirus software and just scan your TV it's just like I don't know I mean that's a good first step I guess for securing it but at the same time why does your smart TV have vulnerability like what is okay. what is exposing to the internet besides something that would communicate directly with samsung if you one day if you've managed to like that all of this smart shit is garbage i'm just gonna stop yeah. making it yes okay if your smart tv is either hooked up directly to the internet or has malware on it you probably have bigger problems yeah so I had this really weird scenario where I had an Ethernet cable plugged into my TV. Not that I ever use it. I just, I was playing with it and stuff. It does, uh, <coughs> whatever. Um, but it's on, a, it's on a separate network. But the only thing that was on the network with, um, was a gateway. And it was getting these like weird pairing requests that were popping up on my TV. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't even know you, you could pair stuff to this TV. Um, mm-hmm. And I just swapped my gateway out to one that wasn't a piece of shit and it went away. But uh, it was definitely like really alarming. Mm. Week. I was like, this is super sketchy. Right. Has anybody read anything about what kind of malware this is? Because to be honest, it was actually the first time that I've heard that you could get even 
Melbourne uh, TV is. I mean, they're definitely like, running something, right? Yeah, of course. But but how would you get this? Like, there's not like an app store. Like, how would they get on? There I would. And, I know for uh, a fact some some TVs you can do just like your basic format injection or you know whatever it's running through user fields. But I have a feeling it has to be something that's like you're on the network and you can interact with it, so you can you know pass data to it via whatever forms or. Well, they, they do have. They do have an app store on a lot of smart TVs for things like Netflix, yeah. Netflix and that kind of thing. But also there uh, there was a talk at, I think, at DEF CON or Blackout like maybe four or five years ago on owning smart TV, like uh, bugs in smart TVs. Um, and as far as I can tell from looking at just the licensing in um, some smart TV manuals, like there's things in there's like licensing from Mozilla, there's like for the browser stuff. As far as yeah. I can tell, it's like Linux-based, you know, firmware. For sure, it, it's just like all the owning of the smart TV is one thing, but but making it like I, I'm not aware of anything that would count that would allow like regular consumer like malware kind of stuff like air, yeah. injected ads. I, I know that this is theoretically possible, but but I'm not aware how how you would get like masses of people to get that kind of malware on a TV. I don't know. That's also no. a good side question. What are you doing with it? Just like a yeah, foothold on a network? Or? There's an article from 2017 where uh, LG smart TVs are infected with Android ransomware. Hmm. Yeah, no. So the, there, um, some of the things yeah. are running Android. A lot of them also run WebOS, um, which like you can totally audit. Um, but yeah, no, the, the landscape of it, I think, is a lot of it was more proprietary where that people had to write their own sort of like internal set top box for the TV with like apps and features and stuff. But a lot of them, I mean, it makes more sense to move towards something like Android where it's a code base actually audited and you can just have that on your TV. Um, I have a TV that has WebOS, and actually Herman and I, we, um, we lost our remote for our TV and we were <laughs> literally the laziest people and didn't find it and wrote a web app to be a remote to connect to the TV. And we still haven't found a real remote. <laughs> Just have that. So it's cool when your TV does have an API and you lose your remote and you have like the the the, the time, I guess, to write uh, something like that. But other than that, I really don't know why, like what you need internet connection stuff for like that. So is there like a REST API on your TV or something? Yeah. I can I can post right now an alert to Hermit watching TV in the other room. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. But yeah, if anybody does have any of that sweet, sweet uh, TV ransomware, send it our way. <laughs> so the next, uh, the next story that we have in here, um, Homeland Security, uh, Department of Homeland Security has tested a working BlueKeep exploit. Which I don't know why this was even announced. Yeah, wait, hold on. I know someone already wrote a Metasploit module for it. They just didn't publish it. Yeah. Well, it's because like this is the buildup, right? Like, event like eventually something is going to make its way out into the public if it hasn't already. Um, but it's just like everyone wants everyone else to know that uh, the shit's coming and like it's doable, it's possible. I mean, I, I think it's already been done, and like right. before, like before we're hearing about it now, someone's done it and just hasn't told anyone. Obviously, hundred percent. Like. I don't know, but yeah, the, definitely the build-up until it becomes part of you know the next botnet that we talk about in about a year and a half when some skids figure out how to 
Isn't this also so damn serious because so many like point of sales terminals and whatever are running these old Windows versions with RDP? And it might not be the thing for like a worm on the public internet, but it might be like this goal, this total gem for anybody who is somewhere in an internal network. Oh yeah. Like, well, that's what I was saying. We're Nazi one, DVD. we're like one, uh, like VPN exploit away from like a real, real, real bad time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still, even if it's not, you know, direct target, like RDP pwned and that's what you get, no matter what low hanging of fruit is still a good foothold. Same with the, um, you know, the SMB version one stuff you, you got, you popped one. Now you have access to the entire network. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely yeah. say there's some smaller cloud providers that are definitely going to be having a heavy investment in security this year. But also like, uh, probably an uptake in like Kexec billboard shit, you know, where people are out there hacking billboards without the Kexec. No. <laughs> I haven't heard from them in a while. Yeah. Um, maybe that's maybe they all went to jail. I don't know. It seems pretty crap. <laughs> that's totally true. Ran out of billboards. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I love how they also said that the the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency confirmed that they had used it to run code remotely on a Windows 2000 computer. That's like the least. Whoa. Thing. I've ever heard like, <laughs> like somebody was giving uh, malware tech shit about his POC being on like Windows 7 I think and somebody had said in the thread that the code was very similar it didn't matter I don't know how true that is I didn't look at it myself. Uh, yeah I'm I'm so terrible at Windows exploitation stuff um, judging by my OSCP record um, so uh-huh. I, I do not know anything about how it actually works I'd love to know um, but that's for another day. <laughs> but if any of you viewers out there have a working Windows 10 blue key proof of concept, send it over. Yeah, disclosure at thugcrowd.com. Yeah, you'll get a CLSSP. <laughs> yeah, send us your smart TV ransomware. That's really what I care about. Sharing learning. is caring. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Um, yo, so the next story we have here, um, shout outs to people who are legally not able to be on the show anymore. Um, the creator of Pokemon Go is suing an association of hackers that it says helps players cheat at its games. So I guess Niantic is um, trying to sue the people who developed like some, some cheat apps that bypass some of the controls in Pokemon Go and other um, products that Niantic makes um, ahead of their Harry Potter app launch. Um, and it's, it's I don't know, it's like really the weirdly dystopian because, I mean, think about the amount of bugs that were in Pokemon Red and Blue and the amount of cheats that were just freely distributed. And now people make cheats of things and they get sued. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like intellectual property stuff, but it seems that they're really more cracking down on like, Cheating. Well, there was also, uh, I also know somebody disclosed a bug in Pokemon Go where uh, certain items were, the, the amount of the item you had were uh, stored uh, locally. So you could just lock that memory and then away you go. You just keep using the item repeatedly forever. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff too. There was also one where you could like, uh, someone made a map and it would just tell you where every single Pokemon was or whatever. So you could actually you could then go spoof your you know, GPS to that specific location or where you found yeah. whatever. Yeah. So they were accepting, 
they were accepting uh, disclosure. So like they weren't not open to this, but also I guess the motivation of the people making these apps is they want to cheat. They want to win and they don't want to play. Yeah. I mean, it's also like just a challenge too, because it, it says right on the, on the download screen, you can't, you're not allowed to reverse engineer the app. And so <laughs> when you say that very prominently, I uh, it's like a, yeah, it's more like a challenge than anything. <laughs> Um, I think the biggest thing about this is, though, that the Harry Potter game uh, hadn't launched yet. So they were they were working on it pre-launch, which yeah. like, makes Pre-crime. people very mad. Pre-crime. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-crime. Well, well yeah, how, do you get... how similar the code bases are. Like, it's yeah, probably exactly the same. It, like, it's well, definitely how... engine that they're engine that they're trying to protect. Yeah, but how do they, uh, you know, do they find the servers? Like, how, what was the asset discovery process of uh, of this new game? Um, was, I, I think know, it's in what, beta. Yeah, they're most likely just... Oh, there was a beta available? Like, okay. that, that's what I read. Yeah. In Australia and uh, New Zealand, much before it came to North America, they probably had a very similar launch process. Right. Yeah. That's still interesting. I mean, you mentioned like hacking the old Pokemon games. I think it's clear that this is like a global game with like microtransactions, right? There's like money involved here uh, in, in like a clo- global MMO game. Uh, so, well, no, I mean, so it, it makes sense why they would want to protect it. It's just like, to me, the fun of video games is the the reason why I got into like hacking is because of being able to discover cheats and stuff and playing around and breaking things and like being like making your game unplayably glitched. Yeah. Um, but that, I, I guess know, the, it takes the wonder out of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, I think they are not going here after somebody who made some hacks and, and had fun with it, but going after a group that is commercially, I believe like selling or, or just giving out these, I, I believe they are mm-hmm. selling it yeah. like customized, apps for cheating and stuff like this this has like nothing to do with you know people like you going into the details figuring it out maybe sharing it with friends and stuff Mm -hmm. no absolutely i mean there's there's definitely two sides to it and it's for me though i'm just like hey let's let the people play but then at the same time we said this last week everything just gets ruined by people just trying to monetize cool stuff instead of just playing with it and sharing it with people yeah yeah money always ruins it that's when you turn it from fun into an actual problem if you were uh, interested in game hacking and you wanted to do some game hacking that was uh, in a nice little environment set up for you to do, Ghost in the Shell Code ran Pony Island 3, which was, uh, I think it was a Unity MMO that you can download the client and you're supposed to hack to get past certain, like, well, basically, you know, it, was, it was part of the CTF. Actually, I think if I recall correctly, there's this one guy on YouTube who did a small series on Pony Island. If I um, can't remember the name, though. Uh, sounds familiar, though. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting that uh, lawsuits like this aren't unprecedented. There was uh, Blizzard sued uh, Wild Glider or, you know, all these different uh, World of Warcraft bot companies before. Uh, So it's like, and they won, of course. So, yeah, I mean, besides just throwing around your legal weight to like cripple a small company, like it's uh, there is some legal precedent there for this kind of stuff to happen. Well, they were selling those cheats as well. So the the guys that Blizzard uh, sued that Defcon twenty that seven I don't know it was a long time ago. <laughs> Seventeen, maybe twenty one, or I don't know. 
<laughs> I was just reminded of the person who asked us to uh, make them cheats for Final Fantasy. Oh, oh my god! Can we? So yeah, so we. Uh, I'm going to go there real quick because that was hilarious. Somebody came into the old Thug Crowd Discord, a stranger, and was basically trying to uh, say, "Hey, can somebody help me write cheats? It's only just a thing that I want to make for myself." And then, like, that's a bad idea. Um, they're like, no, it's just for like Final Fantasy Online. We're like, Square Enix sue people. Like, that's a terrible idea. It's not going to end up well for you. Um, they ended up getting banned just because it was a terrible idea they kept pushing. Um, and then they came back later and were like, hey, somebody ransom me. Please help. Um, <laughs> they were like, I was looking for like, on the dark web forum and somebody ransomed me and they took all my money. Like, yeah, it was like, well, we told you. Terrible idea. It was, it was, Nothing good was ever going to come from that idea. You're not going to help yourself. You're not helping anyone. <laughs> yeah, we tried. We also tried to tell them, like, yo, like, learn about, like, learn C++. Like, learn reverse engineering. Like, learn stuff. If you, re- He's like, if it's just for me, if it's just for you and you're somebody who is interested in this stuff, definitely learn it. There's lots of awesome resources for it. But if you're just trying to be, like, a criminal and trying to, like, read from people that actually care about the stuff, yeah, it's um, a bad look. Just, um, just straight up getting ransom. That was, and then coming back, please help. Yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, the next story that we have in here, um, it's pretty cool. Uh, so Target uh, had a big outage um, this weekend, and it was interesting because the when someone had said that it was five years to the day that they had a register outage, it feels and smells like a cert issue and i don't think there's anything about that being publicly stated by i mean i don't think target would be like oh yeah we had a certificate issue like it's not something like a regular consumer would care about but that seems like something that would happen that's happened to me before where things just stopped working because a cert somewhere expired um i mean yeah took out that's what cron jobs are for <laughs> like, have you heard of Let's Encrypt? I don't know. It works. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it took out uh, it took out card payments though for about ninety minutes, which is pretty significant. I mean, that's a for the entire chain to not have card payment for ninety minutes. That's an incredible loss of money, especially on the weekend. Yeah. Some some of the things though that uh, I've seen in payment networks, there was a client certificate um, on like to the to the payment gateway. So if the client certificate had have expired, then that's a little bit harder to replace um, than you know managing your own infrastructure's mm-hmm. service certificates. It's, easy, it's easier to track. Um, it's sort of up to whoever you're... I don't know if that's what it is, but I'm just, there's some complexities that maybe we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. It's just that's, that's a, it's a bad look. I mean, just <laughs> having all of your payments out, it sucks. You just have to like put everything back or pay cash, yeah. have somehow but- cash. Per like per minute, I'm sure there's a value on this. Like I'm sure there's like business uh like business analysts who are like for every twelve seconds that this was down, we exponentially lost this much money. Like yeah. uh, oh, yeah. there's like some crazy algorithm that they would have put put a dollar figure on. I've seen people do that kind of math and I can only hope that I'll eventually be that smart. <laughs> Just an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Some poor mm-hmm. person. <laughs> Um, when you say Excel, literally Excel, Excel. Shout out to Excel. Um, yo, so the next one here, actually, um, DNZ, you brought this one up. This was about digital drivers' licenses that are being rolled out in a uh, new software. 
Yeah. So this is, uh, I haven't seen any of this right up until I saw that, like there was a beta program that you could enroll in. Uh, I didn't even know this was going on, but you can have a digital driver's license on your phone and then you have to have a physical driver's license as well. Um, oh, you don't need to present. Um, but you do need the, so if you go into state or you go overseas, whatever you obviously need your regular driver's license. But if you get pulled over, I believe you only need the digital one. Now, I don't know about you guys, but making apps is pretty easy and <laughs> reversing Android apps is also fairly easy. So I can only imagine that uh, somebody who was a you know, sophisticated and you know, or maybe not even that sophisticated, someone who was dedicated enough could potentially figure out how to make a license that may appear to be someone else. I don't know. Because I think... So there was a QR code in some of the um, in in some of the the photos of the word that I saw. So I assume that the idea is you get pulled over and a cop sort of scans it and it makes a call somewhere, which means that there's going to be a callback, you know, somewhere on you know on a network somewhere as well um, to actually look up someone's identity and confirm who they are. You know, so still comparing a photo, still looking at that person. Um, yeah. So you're saying there's a real fun new endpoint somewhere. <laughs> there's, there's a real fun new endpoint somewhere, and there's a very nice Android app that uh, people can can probably oh, this, use. This reminds me of, um, of something, actually. Um, you might know about this, or I'm sure you do, about the German EID system that it had um, the... You, like, tack on, like, another request to, like, change identity stuff about yourself. Yeah, we have, like... So... I also don't really know exactly how the system works, but uh, I, I have just recently actually met somebody who has been involved with like building that. And he was explaining to me that you can basically create like temporary pseudonyms uh, to identify yourself with a certain application. And then it basically works that way that the application is certified to only ask, for example, about your age. And that will be then, you know, cryptographically all, all ensured that only your uh, ID will only respond with only your age to verify that, that you are that age, but nothing else about you. And on top of that, you have this temporary uh, pseudonym that even if two different services would get their database breached, they would not be able to correlate because you would have um, totally different uh, IDs for both these uh, services, even though you use the same card. How exactly that protocol works, I have no clue, but... Uh, in yeah. theory, it seems pretty cool. I remember seeing a PSD of somebody at basically like the, it would sign, it would sign the request, but so it would send a signed request, but the, the initial request, you could basically just like do an and blah, blah, blah equals. And it would only, it would only look at like the last parameter. So you could like have the first parameter mm. updated at some point, And then the next step, you're basically just tacking on another piece of, of data and that would be the what was actually sent and signed. That's funny, like overriding, uh, overriding the first key. Like yep. that's um, it's pretty. Like I, I think it's super scary though. Like I don't like I feel like having a license in my wallet. Uh, even though you can you can fake a license, you can buy fake ones on the you know whatever darknet market you like, or you can buy them from like the guy on the corner or whatever. You know what I mean? Um. But I feel like that's a, something you need. If you want that's mine, you need to take it from me or you need to take it from somewhere. Whereas all of a sudden you put it on someone's phone and now you're like, 
Oh, sweet. So where's the SQL DB that holds that crypto keys? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, it's scary. Yeah, one thing I was wondering about or worrying about is like oh, everything might be fine, but the government still controls, like there's a central server where, where all these requests kind of have to go through to to validate your ID, right? The government right. could take your ID away. You could move out of the country and stuff like that. So there must be the ability for the government to revoke your ID, how exactly in the same way your passport could be revoked. So if you do shit, and uh, they revoke your ID, you lose access to all your online accounts and all that stuff. So I feel like even even if they couldn't, like even if this is all cryptography, fine, still the ability to revoke your life, basically, you can't do anything anymore. Also in the digital world, seems like a bit, seems like a lot of power and trust you have to put into that. And I think as well, there's also the case of uh, where I believe it can show if you have outstanding fines, I think I read somewhere. So I guess if somebody was to, you know, just add something onto that mm -hmm. uh, or to remove something from that, I don't know. I don't know. It, imagine you had a warrant. I don't know. I don't have a warrant, but if you had a warrant and uh, it, does that come up when the cop scans it and only, only the cop sees it, like it's not on your app, it's on, he, he hits a different endpoint. I, I would imagine, I would hope, I really hope. Uh, yeah. It happens when network. you have a, a register outage, but for identities. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, well, I have no idea who you are, but that looks like a picture of you. Uh, free to go. You know, one time you, I tried to find, I tried to, uh, I, I was a day after my birthday and I was, I just didn't renew my license. Um, it was a day after my birthday and my license had expired on my birthday. And I went to a place where I had to do a wine tasting or I wanted to do a wine tasting, I guess there was like free wine. And I was just like, I don't even like really drink. So I'm just like, all right, I guess I'll try this wine. And I pulled out my license and they just didn't give it to me, even though I was like way over 21. <laughs> and I was just like, that's what it reminded me of. If you like some glitch happens and you're like, clearly it's me. <laughs> like, but for some reason you can't process this. So I can't like do a function of my life. Or yeah. you're doing like 120 in like a school zone <laughs> and the cop pulls you over. He's like, I guess you're free to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yo, the next thing um, we have on here, uh, Telegram blaming China for doing a DDoS attack on them during the Hong Kong protests. <laughs> I totally believe because it's something that's going to um, but did you see those protests? Those were insane. There were so many people on the streets in, in Hong Kong. And, um, and am I wrong to hear that they were using live ammunition in some places? Yeah, I mean, I, there's uh, like, what? there was a lot like, of. I don't, I don't think they shot anyone or anything, but I, I heard that it wasn't. They weren't using non-lethal everywhere. That's yeah. crowd control. I mean, I, I it's definitely a scary situation, and the fact that a government would just like. Instead of like doing anything else, just DDoSing, like you could, they do so many other crazy things, and that's what they resorted to, I guess, to take out Telegram. Yeah, um, I hope that I, I just imagine like some government official in China buying credits on like DankStressor.com. Get it done. They're like they, they they have to promote it on Discord too, so they just yeah. sign up for this, I guess, to post it in ten Discords. Um, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I that's definitely an interesting like tool, I guess, for for this because I mean, this is a local problem. This isn't something that is oh, yeah. outside of it, China. 
when when protests happen inside of certain countries, they the government often shuts down the internet to prevent yeah. the protesters from from communicating. Now mm-hmm. in Hong Kong, you know the the now it's a different case. It's like kind of an outside uh, state wants to disrupt the communication inside of it for a bit yeah. for those reasons. So the only chance they have is, I guess, the DDoS. But but in the effect is supposed to achieve the same thing as other states have done just with their local internet. Oh, absolutely. No, because it's interesting because, I mean, I've been to Hong Kong and they don't have the same, like, restrictions at all um, mm. for internet. Like, I could go on, I mean, <laughs> I didn't really go on the internet that much there because it was spooky, but... It's like um, American China. Yeah, it's definitely like... Uh, <laughs> American China. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it was created to be, basically. Yeah. And now China's trying to take it back, and that's the whole whole thing they're protesting. Yeah, uh, I find uh, the the DDoS is like pretty again, <laughs> as we've said a million times, it's not a very not really that effective. There's got to be some better, you know. Surely, of all of China's APT powers, and specifically, Telegram is not small. I'm sure they're aware what what Telegram is and where it runs from. Like they would have had something else lined up in case of emergency break glass kind of deal. But would you work burning it over this? I don't know. That's, yeah. that's up to China to decide, right? I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah someone in the chat said, Telegram should they use Dollar VPN Club. <laughs> Shout out to Dollar VPN Club. Thanks for sponsoring well, every single action that we take on the internet, including private chats. They take responsibility for it. So our tweets uh, are representative of our sponsor. Um, I sleep at ease knowing that Dollar VPN Club doesn't log any of my porn traffic. They don't log anything. They don't. They don't know what their anything is. They don't know. They, they don't even know if you're on the VPN or not. They just isn't it a like boot from CD direct to memory? Like the CD crypts, yeah, all the subs. CD, yeah. Actually, it's, it's actually it's a it's a small ROM similar to like a BIOS chip, and then you put that on your motherboard. And that's how you load the Dollar VPN Club client. <laughs> uh, so you just you have to just install. It's basically like a PCIe card that you can just plug in. It's um, actually a boot kit. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it actually writes your bootloader, and it helps you. Out. Yeah, <laughs> some, they have some cool products coming out um, for their XSS. Sales, the exciting summer specials. So um, take a look at that uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, the world's first world's first Ring Zero VPN. Yes. Oh, which number are we on here? Yeah. The next uh, story we have in here is about uh, millions of Venmo transactions scraped uh, in a warning over privacy settings. So, yeah, this is. I mean, people have been scraping Venmo for a while, and actually, I didn't get to see this talk at Layer Eight. But there was a talk about uh, an OSINT tool using Venmo. And people have done a bunch of different projects with the public data from it. But yeah, basically, so if you don't, aren't familiar with Venmo, it's a, like a, a payment thing. I think it's sponsored by PayPal now or bought by PayPal. Yeah. Um, you can just send money back and forth between people pretty quickly and easily. Uh, but the default setting for transactions um, between two people, um, if you're doing a like any kind of transaction at all, it's set to public. So that means that anybody can see your transaction and anybody can search for transaction words or words you might put in the transaction name. So people will put like, oh, like for sushi or whatever. Um, people also put like 
for that lean that I bought or like for whatever weird, you know, ransom I paid. Um, that's all public data for the most part, unless you explicitly set it to private. Um, and so people have been, you know, criticizing the company saying you should make this private because there's no reason for people to, it's not like a blockchain. There's no reason to have a public ledger for payment. I cannot, I cannot comprehend how developers must have sat in like a meeting room and decided that they make something like that public. This is yeah. absolutely yeah. baffling. <laughs> also, uh, in the chat, vicemo.com, which uh, I guess now that it seems like they changed some stuff around, so there's not as many, but it used to just like constantly scroll. Like uh, anytime someone would put like drugs or like anything in their, uh, their description for their payment. Yeah. Uh, yes. There's still some. So the, article, the article references, uh, Johnny Christmas shout out, uh, that says that, uh, they restricted the API to, uh, historical data, mostly. So what, yeah. So what historical data can be collected? So it's I guess so they kind of listened, but not really, they didn't get it, you know, like they were told by like this researcher who is, you know, has a name, you know, that's like, you listen to this guy, hey, they're like, oh, yeah, we're listening. And then they like half do it. And like, yeah, hey, I'm good now. I don't know. Hell yeah. Um, definitely yeah. like, uh, you know, when you have to fill the field out, when you, sell, when you send money to people, just like regular bank transfers, do you guys ever put like weird stuff in there? Oh, All yeah. the time. Nothing that's but. Anything yeah. that I put in there. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. You know, Sex oh, toys the game club in the chat. <laughs> Buying illegal shit with Venmo should have used yeah. club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I mean I feel like a lot of that stuff is. I see a lot of really funny stuff in there, so I, I do think it's funny when people that I know who are using Venmo um, are typing out weird stuff. But yeah, I the, keep on the weirdest thing they can think of. Unless it's like really funny, but other than that, it's a great OSINT tool and can be used to uh use against you um so yeah we're gonna do a break in a second i guess we can do this um story real quick if you want to actually shell you're the one who shared this um do you have anything to say about this uh firefox all day uh i mean it's pretty wild you don't see uh this kind of stuff come up too often there's just um issues with uh javascript objects due to or uh, type confusion vulnerability can occur when manipulating javascript objects due to Issues in array.pop. Oh, so a type confusion error in JavaScript. Who would have thought that? Uh, did you say types in JavaScript? What? <laughs> so I guess, is this like, so you like, you pop something off, like you, you pop something off and it's just like, it gets recast or something. Is that the, is that the idea? I have actually no idea, but it's, a uh, comes from project zero and the clone based security team. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I I guess it's somewhere in uh, Spider Monkey. Are they still using Spider Monkey or Firefox or my old man? <laughs> I have no idea. No, I just saw this and quickly quickly read through it. I was like, this is actually a really really neat thing, especially when you hear that it's you know been exploited in the wild. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exploiting like a lot of this stuff getting exploited in the wild is literally wild. So, you know, <laughs> super theoretical, and then like, if someone like saving it for point to own or whatever, get some money, and then someone's out there just like, nah, <laughs> excuse it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Hey, so it's uh, about halfway through the show. Um, we should take a little break here for about five minutes or so, um, get some water, and um, we'll come back and uh, chat with Lyle Overflow about everything he does. And yeah. Hell yeah. Music here real quick and I'll mute us so we don't start saying bad things. Crime, 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 crime. Crime, crime. I love crime. Ah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get the music back. Woo. We're back. Oh, there's those Yo. classic monitor speakers. Hello. <laughs> Hi. It's been so long. Oh, yeah. So thanks, everybody, for sticking through the break here. Um, we are back. And we're here with Live Overflow again. <laughs> been here. But thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so yeah, um, I guess we can just get right into it. Do you want to introduce yourself um, to the viewers at home? Uh, sure. Um, I go by Live Overflow on Twitter. Not the best name to have chosen to be called like that. Um, I make YouTube videos. Uh, mostly that's what I'm, I guess, known for. Uh, professionally, I do, I'm do. i a freelancer. and do like application security, web security, uh, source code reviews, and that kind of stuff. Not so much the regular pen testing with like networking, more like the application uh, side. And yeah, that's, that's about it, actually. Awesome. So yeah, um, I guess uh, we have some standard sort of questions to go through with you, but then we kind of wanted to have more of a free-flowing chat after for anybody who's around. So we're actually streaming on both the Live Overflow Twitch channel as well as the Hard Chat Twitch channel. So sure, when you're on, I guess you can ask us questions. If you have any questions for us, or questions for him, um, just throw them in there and we'll be listening in. Um, shout out to Dollar VPN Club for, for modding the chat. Um, <laughs> So yeah, let's just get into that. Uh, so first question is, what got you interested in computers and security? Um, that is probably the fault of my dad. Uh, he worked at Hewlett Packard and he had always access to like PCs kind of very early on and brought like home old PCs that were not used at work anymore. And uh, I just love to play with those. I disassembled those. I looked at the PCBs and stuff like this, and that definitely sparked like my interest in computers. Um, yeah, and then I also wanted to learn like programming and all that stuff. And um, about like how how I got interested in security or hacking, I guess it's just like that. Hacking has been like part of like pop culture. You know, you heard it. It, it was this cool thing that of of people that really understand technology. So I guess I just from that on, I kind of was interested in that. But I also remember my dad giving me the book, The Cuckoo's Egg by Cliff Stoll. Um, and I'm sure that must have also had some quite some imprint on me. Uh, but I always try to get like into security, but you can imagine you're like a teenager, have no clue. And then you Google on trying how to hack in like the early 2000s, I guess, or something like that. Uh, you only found like shit stuff i never found like the real communities where i could learn something uh so it took me until like uh until i was at university when i had like all these years of experience of like programming that i discovered ctfs and finally i realized that i could actually get a foot into the world of security and uh yeah and ctfs were basically that what then really really motivated me yeah 
No, that's awesome. I mean, that's, uh, that's actually interesting. Like, you know, when you started off and, uh, you know, you learn a whole bunch of stuff before you stepped into the communities so that when you came in, you had like a good foundation before you, you know, which a lot of people try to skip that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of these things that are so curious to me that I hear it all the time that people like start in security and or do pen testing and don't know to, how to program. I guess reality is that works from my point of view. I cannot comprehend how that would be a thing. Like I feel like, but I guess I'm biased just based on my past that I feel like I must know all these things to be able to even understand a little bit, but yeah, that has always been something I've I found curious. Yeah, yeah, I, d- I definitely feel absolutely. Um, oh my goodness, my mouse is so touchy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, that's like a, such a good point. Like, there's we, people have talked about that a bunch because there's like people have said that you can't do like hacking, you can't do like penetration testing or any security stuff without knowing how to code. And it's like some people do make arguments that you can't. I, but I, at the same time, I'm, I'm like unable to comprehend that either. I have to learn how to like write something, I guess, to understand how it works. But those people are visual, I guess. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot depends. outside of hacking that isn't necessarily programming, but it's more like logical. And so that might be an advantage for some people. I mean, some people are ops people, you know, like if, mm-hmm. if what you know is how to like deal with networks and you never have to code anything, like it's a wide field. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's probably the thing. It's a wide field, yeah. If you're a wizard at, like, you know, Cisco and then networking and routing and you can, you know, secure <laughs> work through, through different routing rules, you know, that's just as much security as finding a kernel exploit. You know, just same same means, or different means to the same end, I guess, of just keeping things safe. Um, but, yeah, um, so I definitely wanted to ask you, how long have you been making videos? Because I, I found out about your videos like a few years ago. I thought they were awesome and watched a bunch of them and um, kept up with a, a bunch of your work. But how long have you actually been doing this for? The, the security videos specifically or just like actually videos in general? Uh, both, I guess. Um, mm, so I think I, I think I always had like an inclination or like... I have been like making videos on and off just like through my whole life. So I feel like that kind of led me to making them videos now. I never realized that really about myself, but looking back, I realized that in various stages of my life, I had encounters with creating videos. And so Mm -hmm. as a child, I had like my dad's camcorder and I was like making Lego stop motion movies. Um, And then and then some of you might have seen like my April Fool's video um, where I, I I do like pe- tricks with like pens, like literally pens. And I was making like a joke about pen testing, but it's actually like pen spinning, doing tricks with pens. And so that was like something I did in my teenage years. And this is where I actually learned editing because we would record ourselves doing like tricks with these pens and editing it to move uh, to, to music and stuff like this. So that was like my teenage years with video stuff. And uh, then actually I, I thought also remember that I was doing like basics of like computer tutorial videos already, like only like three or so. There was like a Google Code Jam, which is like a Google programming competition for mm-hmm. yeah, computer science students. And I remember doing like two like write-up videos of that. I, I just recently remembered that. Um, and 
I also remember playing Guild Wars 2 and they have like an uh, it's an online game and they have like an API with just some JSON data. And so I was making like a video, a basic programming uh, tutorial video on how to interact with such an API. Uh, so, so somehow I have been doing videos throughout my life and never really considered myself like a video maker or something. But starting the security videos that basically started in like early 2015. So I guess four, almost four years now ago. Um, and I actually started with live streaming and not with making videos. That's why it's also live overflow. Uh, uh, I was interested in that because of, I watched Geohot. Geohot it, just bef a little bit before that was doing sometimes like live CTFs. He was um, streaming himself, solving challenges. And at that time, I was kind of hitting a wall when it came to security. Um, I just couldn't really progress. All this stuff was so complicated. And sh seeing him, how he's interacting with the terminal and the kind of script he's writing and just that like being able to look over the shoulder of somebody who is like a lot more experienced than you is so valuable. And that like really like blew me away and that motivated me then to, to also get started myself. Basic, basically, I was frustrated that he wasn't doing more or other people wouldn't do more. And I thought to myself, at least, you know, I'm, I'm not on their level, but I can maybe help people that are still uh, even more beginners than I am to get to my level faster if I stream that content. So really um, one of the videos I liked was uh, how to ask a question. <laughs> so like, um, I'd like to know how to do this XSS yeah. Oh, sorry. That's my, that's, that's my whole question. I'd like to know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That was a very <laughs> good example. That was a very good example of the kinds of questions <laughs> I sometimes get. I put it put bug. Yeah. yeah. There's actually. There's one small thing I, I kind of regret not having included in that video, and that is uh, asking if they can ask a question. Like that, that, that starts to drive me insane. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Please I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a lot to teach people, and that a part of it is what you had brought up in that video, which is when you're teaching somebody, it's it's harder people to to come to know what they even want to ask, and it's 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 like between that and people just not knowing how to even really talk to people in general. It's just both of the both of those things yeah. compound get really difficult for some people to, to even just you know break in and ask a question about something, and then for the person who's receiving that <laughs> to get that knowledge, it's frustrating because you're you're not sure how they'll even process what you're saying because you assume they don't know anything or that they you know whatever. It's just yeah, it's, it's a lot of miscommunication that can happen in those sort of transactions. I can certainly relate to that because I know that I've been there and I'm still there actually too. I remember, like I mentioned during the time when I discovered Geohot's live stream, I was like hitting a wall. Like I knew that I am theoretically able to understand that stuff. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't find the proper information to like move forward. And I also struggled to like phrase the right questions just because there's so much unknown. I, I don't really understand like how to phrase the question. So from that point, I can understand it. And I happen to observe that in myself again, just recently, 
or over the past like one or two years about like browser exploitation because that is such a complex and huge topic that mm-hmm. felt like theoretically I should be able to understand this if I would dedicate the time, but I don't. It it seems such a daunting task that I'm uh, overwhelmed and get frustrated. And so so I have these same annoying questions I ask some people I know like this is so complicated. I don't know where to start. And and th- those are not questions that people can help you with. These are not precise enough. And so, yeah, I, I can emphasize. So, so I hope that with the video that was a little bit ranty, I could like nudge people to understand. And that's also something I had to like kind of learn again or, or make, um, make myself aware of again, that I have to take a step back and approach this more slowly and not go, all the way at once and just mm-hmm. like try to figure out what are these first small steps that hopefully lead me onto the path where I want to go. Absolutely. I think, uh, I don't know, I guess as well, sometimes if you're not sure of someone's skill level and they want your help and you obviously want to help them, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm tech explaining. I don't know if you ever feel that. Mm. That's where, a like, huge you, struggle for yeah. me. Yeah, you, you sort of like you're explaining something, and then all of a sudden you're explaining something about TCP, and then the next thing you're you know you're breaking it, to, and then maybe they already know this stuff, maybe they don't, and they don't give you any indication of like, do they know it or yeah. do you yeah, want to shut up? I, now or like, I'm I'm really struggling with this, and I've actually I don't know where I stand. I flip flop between those two things because I don't want to be, I don't want to appear arrogant, so I don't want to like. Uh, throw around like, I uh, know, so sorry, be, be arrogant and assume that the person is below me by starting to explain like very basic stuff. And so I, I don't want to appear that I think I know everything and you know nothing. And, it, and then the other side would be that I assume that you are on my level and then I would just start speaking jargon and then actually you don't understand. And that makes you feel dumb and makes me look arrogant. So <laughs> I don't know how to do this and I don't know how to do this with my videos as well, because in a sense, it's like the same way where I just present my thoughts and talk to somebody. And I don't really know how, how, how to properly have that conversation. Both seems fatal. It's probably harder with a one-way communication medium like video. But if you're talking to someone in person, you can just straight up ask, like, what is your experience level with like X thing? And usually mm. people will tell you. And you can try to go from there. Yeah, yeah for I mean, sure. Especially with your videos, it's it's going to be harder because it's not one person or one type of person. You you have no clue really who's watching. Yeah, with videos, I can't imagine doing that. But in person, that can be effective. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so that actually leads into the next question that I, I we had for you, which was, how do you balance and, or gauge uh, <laughs> to more advanced content when you're making videos? Because you've made videos on you know, the whole process of like, you know, what are buffer overflows and then start off with the basics of what is assembly and you go through like the whole chain and you lead up to way more advanced concepts. But then you make other videos as well that are, you know, sometimes they're gauged towards more beginner audience systems. They're, they're like straight into whatever you're talking about with the jargon. Um, so how do you balance that? And, and when you're making a video to sort of, I guess, get in the mode of, of explaining it to, you know, somebody who's beginner to more advanced. Yeah, I actually don't really think about it too much because it's basically always constrained by the length that I target for a video, which is like roughly like 10 minutes or so. It's it's about 
three Google Docs pages that I write for a script. And I, in recent like times, I've been kind of fading this. So it's like three to four pages. Uh, I, I try to limit myself, which is actually not much when you start like trying to write out what you want to say. And so that limits the size. And then, and then comes the topic that I want to talk about. So maybe it's a CTF challenge that I want to explain or some other topic I want to explain, but Let's say you solve the CTF challenge. And so now I figure out how can I explain the solution to the CTF challenge in that time. And I want to include as much detail as possible, but I'm confined by the length. So if the challenge was a little bit more basic, it allows me to go even deeper and more and explain more basic stuff. But if the G CTF challenge was already something more advanced that requires certain knowledge, then I just don't have the time to explain those details. And so that ends up to be a more advanced topic. And I guess because I keep jumping around between topics and because sometimes I solve easy challenges, sometimes I solve harder challenges, I guess in the end it balances it somewhat out. Uh, but yeah, to be, I, I'm not actually thinking a lot about balancing. It's actually mostly the time constraint and I try to explain as much as possible in the time that I'm given and sometimes it's more basic and sometimes it's more advanced. That's really cool. That's actually a really good way to think about it. And I think that's probably what, what a lot of people end up doing is just you only have a certain amount of time. And yeah, that's uh, sweet. Um, so one of the things that um, actually, Shell, this is your question. Um, what are some of the most common questions that you get from your viewers? The, I was thinking when I got started that my, the most question I would get would be to, to be asked to hack their Facebook or hack their Instagram or something like this. And so, <laughs> and other people have told me they get this question, but surprisingly, I get this question extremely rarely, maybe every other few months or so, like once in a blue moon uh, on Twitter or on email, I get this question, but basically never. It's actually ridiculous how little I get this, which is really surprising to me. And the question I get the most actually is what kind of books I would recommend, uh, followed by uh, kind of how to get started. Um, yeah. So do you have any go-to resources um, for those kinds of questions? Like if somebody asks you how to get started or what sort of books do you recommend, how mm -hmm. do you approach that? So that's why I made like a couple, or I have like two videos of mine that I made to kind of answer this question. So one of the videos is how to get the secret step-by-step -step guide to learn hacking, which I deliberately made a little bit more clickbaity, try to capture exactly these people, uh, where I basically explain that it's difficult or impossible for me to tell you how to start because it totally depends on your background and what you're interested in. And, and I don't, have a, I haven't reviewed all the available resources, so I don't know which ones were um, efficient. I only know the resources I learned with, and they were frustrating and stuff like this, so I'm sure there are better ones out there. So basically, I sent in these videos to explain kind of like the issue I have with recommendation. I also can't recommend any books because I've never actually learned or studied with books. I'm, I'm terrible at reading books. Um, that's kind of something that annoys my, me myself. Um, so yeah, I tend to send them this sometimes depending on how much I have time and how much I'm in the mood or whatever, or maybe the person even included something about themselves. I, I might like ask back like what the background is or what, what they kind of want to learn. And otherwise I just, yeah, refer to that video that I made and maybe even point them to something like Pico CTF or tell them that I have made this series on the basics of 
like binary exploitation that they can follow along and do it themselves, like these challenges themselves, try them themselves, uh, stuff like this. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, I don't have like a go-to satisfactory answer and kind of changes over time and depends on my mood if I'm willing to talk to this person or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so speaking of mood though, um, one of the other things I wanted to ask was what are some of your pet peeves about being a technical content creator? I know that a lot of people just sort of expect content creators on say YouTube to just pump out whatever content or answer their questions or be present or whatever. Um, I guess do you have any sort of um, things that get on your nerves about doing this kind of stuff? Mm, what mm, actually not really. So, so far my experience has, as a content creator has been surprisingly positive. I started doing this completely anonymously because I thought I would receive a lot more stuff that I would struggle with, but has been surprisingly fine and nothing really that annoys me a lot. I guess what annoys me a lot is just these questions about, can I ask a question? What I just mentioned before, if, if they ask, if they can ask a question, it's just annoying. Um, also, um, sometimes like in, like I said, I started anonymously because as a kind of a self-protection mechanism, because I'm a very, I think I'm a fairly emotional person and I probably don't do well with a lot of like hate comments and stuff like that, but I don't get these at all. Uh, and so the, the very, very few I get, I actually can brush off, but, but that's something I would have worried about, but it hasn't turned out not to be an issue. Um, I don't know, pet peeves as a content creator. Yeah, no, totally a valid point, though. I think yeah. that's something that, that makes people really scared to put stuff out there. It's it's mm. for any any field, really, but especially technical stuff where there's always just like the the that meme of the guy with the actually, and they just have like little tiny glasses and they're balding, just sitting in their, their mom's basement or something. It's like that kind of thing that like, just oh, not want to do anything. That's a good good point with the well, actually. So, so my most... My most uh, successful video and that kind of like my viral video, it has over 3 million views. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it is about this Raspberry Pi that a student found in like a college library. And it was just plugged in there in the wall and he found multiples of these and was wondering what it does. And I contacted him and helped him like look at this. And basically in that video, I'm describing this process of trying to help him figure it out. And I was just telling the story and, you know, there were, a lot of limitations that we had, like this student only had a Windows laptop. He didn't have an SD card. No, he had an SD card reader built in into the laptop. Uh, and he didn't have a Linux machine. He didn't have an extra monitor to plug into that Raspberry Pi. He like all these limitations that we had. And so I was on a Skype call with him and I needed to figure out what is the most efficient way to somehow get that Linux image to me over the internet because he sits on the other side of the world. And so I had to play around with all these limitations and, uh, you know, installing a Linux machine is actually something we did and we didn't include in the video because that was a dead end because his SD card reader, for example, was like a built in one and wasn't exposed by the USB buses. He couldn't attach that to the VM. So that it wasn't, the SD card wasn't readable from the VM. So basically in the end, I tried to download a tool that would allow us to create an image of that SD card with windows and so we googled and found like a tool and didn't like work and we tried to read the fastest and it didn't work and 
Anyway, long story short, I try to explain this this whole story, and then in the end, I get comments as like, "Why didn't you just use Linux? Why didn't you just plug in uh, a monitor?" Uh, and and people like, like we just try to download a single tool to image the SD card, which is so much easier to to install Linux, set this up on this person's single machine, then somehow get Skype working again with screen sharing that we can set it up and have a call and and then walk him through. Like that is a, such a larger task than just trying to find a Windows tool to get an image of of the SD card. Like <laughs> this is what goes into this. Well, actually, like. People suggesting something that is just doesn't make any sense in that context, and, and kind of misunderstanding that I'm telling here a story that had limitations, and obviously it's not the perfect path that it could have been, but that's just telling the story how it was. Um, oh my god, sorry. That's, that's absolutely like people. That's just a, a common thread through a lot of things. People not understanding or appreciating the process and the effort that you go through to make this kind of stuff. Because kind of videos that you do, especially like they have a lot of diagrams and, and animations and things, and those take time to like one think of and then create and then put into something that actually makes sense. And so, yeah, it's definitely a, a huge thing for people to to remember when they're they're watching people create anything on the internet is that it takes a lot of time and, and effort and there's a lot of things that you might not know about that go into you know putting uh putting things on the screen for you yeah i, I think uh, a lot of people i guess that goes also in the pet peeve stuff assume that like making videos is easy and quick and that's I, I have done like a live stream once where i've made like a ctf video right up from start to finish and that live stream was like 14 hours long. So that's roughly how much it took me to like prepare and edit and create that video, ignoring even the time that went into like playing the CTF and stuff in the first place. So this is like massive amount of hours for a video basically that I release every week that people might not be realizing that, that it takes. And so that goes even a step further, you know, thinking about like, these stupid let's players on YouTube or stupid vloggers that that have have it so easy, but actually all this editing and all this collection of footage and all this stuff costs so much time. And and so I guess that is my pet peeves about content creation that people assume that it's easy and quick. And in in reality, like we are there, like working our ass off, not having weekends just to prepare these things to release them. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it's great to be able to discuss this too. Because a lot of people just do not get to understand, um, you know, what actually goes into it. So thank you for explaining. Whoa! Um, big shout outs to uh, all the gift subs that just came through. Thank you very hey, much. RX, thanks, uh, RXID. Yeah, RXID. Someone just gift gifted subs to like that. <laughs> cool stuff. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, thanks, dude. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so talking on all of what you have said so far, um, are there any things that you'd like to see people doing in this sort of space of making educational content on YouTube? Like, what are some things that you'd like people to do that maybe you would don't have the time or energy or, or, or necessarily know how to do? First of all, I don't have any like 
uh, I have obviously some wishes of stuff that I would like to watch myself, but generally I just would like to see more of it and more variety of it. Just like, I, that's also a reason why I did that live stream and why I've shared like my making of how I make these videos in the hope that it kind of helps kickstart somebody else's creation process. Because I understand that some people might not, that many people might not like the video on YouTube stuff, but I, I personally feel like there's a lot of, um, a potential there and i want to watch more videos so i just wish there were more people making videos and in terms of like uh what i would like to see there are various kinds of things like i'm a very curious person so as i'm especially interested in any professional just sharing stuff that is related to their work uh, may it even just be like a network engineer or like, for example, I have never done ops as mentioned, like earlier, these kind of jobs, like operation security or like, you know, uh, looking at like the network traffic and incidents that are going on. Maybe there's a company out there that is a bit more open with their work and would allow an engineer to kind of like share that process and these videos um, as well, like things like that I would love. I would love more security researchers, like recording and sharing the process, like Mermis uh, is, is doing that a lot. Um, or um, I've talked to a lot of like security researchers that would kind of like to do it, but they just don't have the time because the security research already takes so much time. And once they start recording, they realize like how much work it actually is. But uh, yeah, I, I would hopefully encourage and would hope that more just professionals just share their work in, in video form or any form for that matter. If it's easier for you for a blog post, I take a blog post too, but I would like to see just more videos. I think, uh, I think we should probably mention before all the junior developers start streaming is, uh, be aware of what you're streaming, I guess. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't be streaming your production keys. Um, Maybe that's why you should do videos and not streaming so that you can make sure to edit it out. Yeah, uh, definitely. There's actually a time um, yeah. from our, our crew um, had found somebody who was Twitch streaming and they had just like for like one second accidentally had like their uh, their like DB, their like root DB creds and then they're able to like access their stuff um yep. they, they ended up reporting it on there and the guy stopped the stream and came into our discord and we like walked him through like what to do next but it was uh <laughs> that kind of stuff happened so definitely be aware of that yeah i definitely i would be way too paranoid to stream any to stream anything work related that's why i, I would encourage videos and even with videos like like i said i tried to be anonymous at the start and i fucked up many times <laughs> that taught me to be never trying to be anonymous again i i had so many mistakes it's so easy or it was so easy to like dox me and stuff so, so one many of the things mistakes. uh during our 24-hour live stream when we were all uh hacking on different um ctfs and challenges and things like that what a lot of people did was actually set up a vm just for that task so oh, yeah we set mm -hmm. up an arch vm like black arch vms ubuntu vms whatever you're using and people were just capturing that window so if you want to do it that's the way you can do it um without having, you know, accidentally alt tapping, alt tabbing to, you know, your real Firefox logged in with your actual Gmail. Um, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do that. But yeah, you can, you can save yourself that potential by taking a few steps and thinking about it. That's for example, uh, something, um, that, that I have a problem with. So when I play CTFs, I obviously play that like on my machine where I'm logged in into like the different, you know, chat applications to, to share stuff with people. I have my email open. It's just like my machine, right? 
And, and so if I would record that and would try to make a video out of it, it would be so tedious to edit all that stuff out. That's why for, for my videos, I actually reenact basically everything I did uh, to like properly size the windows, make sure they are clean, make sure there's nothing on it. And then I record that, that section of, for, for the video and stuff like this, because it's my, my footage of recording myself playing CTF is unusable with the, with the private, like I'm, I'm messaging like my girlfriend or my friend or like stuff is happening, you know, <laughs> unusable. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of work, man. That's uh, that's a lot of effort to go through and just recreate everything you did. And like, on top of that, uh, I just, I want to say, I'm not sure how much time it takes, but the, the drawn annotations you do for your videos, I think those are a great addition, but I'm sure that takes forever. So I have found a very efficient way, I think, how to do this. Like the reason why they look how they look, it has become like a kind of a, almost like a brand identity of like overflow. But this has been created basically accidentally because it's the fastest thing I could figure out to do this because I wanted annotation on the screen. I felt like there was too much information on the screen to just show that. I needed something to point and or to like make a box around it and stuff like this. And init my initial process was that I would always like if I have a screen of my video showing, I would take a screenshot. Uh, paste that into Photoshop, draw something over it or draw like a, a rectangle over it and then export just that transparent layer as a file and then pull that file again into the video. And that was quite tedious. And this is my, those are my early videos until I figured out that you can do video editing in Photoshop. So now I just edit it once, like stitch everything together, just zoom in and prepare everything like that first render that and then I take that whole video into Photoshop and in Photoshop it's actually very easy to then create layers and just draw over them. You can't really do animations uh, and, and, and all that kind of fancy stuff but you can do like these still overlay layers just over the video and then you can draw on this and that process gets fairly quick. I mean it still takes like time and still kills like another two hours or so but compared to having to do this animation like After Effects or whatever professional tool that would be, this has been pretty fast. So feel free to use that method if that means you can make better videos. That definitely sounds better than uh, opening Notepad and typing in there and then backspacing five times and typing it again. <laughs> but that's classic. Much that's classic. <laughs> yeah, that's stylized now. Yeah. This should hypercam too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess, um, do you want to just talk a little bit about any projects that you're working on right now? Um, so right now I'm on, on, on YouTube, I'm releasing, I'm in the process of releasing this browser exploitation series, which is obviously I'm not an expert. I also like started to learn about it by trying to walk through uh, one example exploit. Uh, so we are on like, I think episode four or so, and there will be a couple of more episodes trying to walk through all the technical details and to be able to understand that one particular exploit. Uh, so, so that's one thing that I'm basically working on. And then I started like streaming last week and we are building um, this 8-bit computer by Ben Eater. So it's not security related, but it's about like understanding how a computer works on a more electronics level. I'm an amateur in electronics, so I use this also to learn more about it myself. That, that kind of is also a core principle of myself. I, I, I strongly believe that 
uh, I'm, I'm better at my job. The more I understand about the whole computer world, everything technology related, even if it's not like electronics is not something I do professionally, but I feel like through that, I understand computers a bit better. That allows me just to, uh, to, do my work better. I don't know. That's something I, I believe in. Yeah. So we are building that it's not security related, but, uh, we, we might chat a lot about security as well. Those are the two projects that are going on right now. Oh, and I'm working on my master's thesis. I'm trying to do finish my master's degree. That's another whole drama. <laughs> Good luck with that. You know, I guess we'll uh, we'll ask you in like six months or a years time. Like, so what are you working on? You're like my master's thesis. You know, yeah. No, I have, a, I have an actual deadline. Uh, it's at the end of October. So ask me. Either I I, I handed that in or I dropped out. So. <laughs> good luck good luck with that and of course that's also why i started streaming and building that 8-bit computer because when is the best time to start a new project right exactly oh, oh we gotta build this computer from scratch hold on <laughs> <laughs> um so uh subnet in the chat which thanks to subnet and um rxid for gifting all those subscriptions i think there were 11 or 12 given away just now on everybody in chat. Subnet asks, is Live Overflow going to be at the DEF CON CTF again this year? Uh, most likely not. I have no plan so far to go. Uh, my excuse is that I'm working on my master's thesis and can't afford like to travel, uh, and I sh probably shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't build this computer instead and go to DEF CON, I guess, but uh, it is what it is now. <laughs> I think you'll probably learn more from building the computer than going to like every talk at DEF CON. I don't know. That made sense to me. Well, I wouldn't go to any talks at DEF CON anyway because I would just sit in the hotel room playing the CTF. <laughs> yeah, last year, I didn't see anything of DEF CON. I literally just walked from the hotel room up the elevator, up the escalator uh, to the CTF area and back. That's all I saw. Yeah, definitely been there before. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that sums up the experience. I think. I think your experience sounds like it had a little less vomit. <laughs> there was no vomit. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, does anybody else in the chat, in either chat, have questions to ask? Do a uh, live overflow or still have them? Um. <clears throat> one of the things that I wanted to ask you too is: Do you have any message for? Um, any aspiring hackers that might be listening and watch your show or watch your channel? Uh, yeah, actually, that's also some advice when, when people ask me like how to get started or when they appear frustrated when they write me. Generally, what I like to say is that this stuff is complicated and just takes time. There's masses of information. And the, 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 the key takeaway is and what you need to prepare yourself for, it just takes time. If you start now, it, you will not learn this stuff in a couple of days. It will not take weeks. It probably will also not take months. But if you start doing this casually on the side and whatever, it, I assure you and I can guarantee you that in, in, in like a couple of years, you are most certainly a, pro, uh, a well-versed professional. And in a year, you already will be so capable. Uh, it, it, there's just masses and masses of information that need to be absorbed over time. You can't do that in, in just a few months. So don't be frustrated when you just got started. It's absolutely normal and it's all doable and it's all in retrospect easy, but I know that's frustrating and it just takes time. That's a really, that's a really good point about you know, uh, taking time and getting frustrated because I guess the things you learn at the start 
um, might have other things that you need to know later uh, for it to come full circle. And that, that knowledge stack might take that few months, might that take that year plus. And, you know, I still have time to, uh, you know, five, 10, 15 years later, I turn around and go like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, keep going. Absolutely. Um, oh, so Femto Duino asks a really important question here. Um, Live Overflow, have you had to deal with burnout? Uh, no. Um, to be honest, I actually don't really know what like the f- full symptoms of a burnout would be. The thing is, like, I'm not employed. Like, I don't have to go to an office. I can tell you that I'm extremely tired and uh, stuff, but I don't have a boss. It's like all like all the stress I'm feeling is all basically self-imposed. I have the choice as a freelancer to take on projects or not. I keep taking on projects. I keep taking on more work. I keep putting more work into life overflow. Now I started streaming. I have a master thesis to do. Like I'm loaded with work and I load more onto myself, but it's all like by choice and I could all drop at any time. And that's why I think I can like keep going. Like it, it, I haven't had like vacations or weekends basically in years, but I'm also kind of doing everything like by choice in a way. Uh, so uh, every day is a weekend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. Um, and so I feel like if I had like a, a job where I need to get up every morning and go to and, um, you know, have to get up in the morning, I feel like I would have already failed and I wouldn't be able to do it anymore. But because I just wake up and can work in my PJs and, or work from bed, I'm just able to uh, keep walking on the hot coals. That's kind of how I feel. That's an interesting approach, though, for um, I guess being a freelancer and you saying that you you choose to uh, to do the things. A lot of people definitely um, serial overcommitters, um, doing a lot of things and then feeling bound to them. So like, yeah, so yeah. so Giles, yeah, Giles writes something in chat like stress is about no longer in control, and that's how I feel also about it. I, I feel very stressed. I feel extremely overworked in some way, but it's not, nobody put that work onto me. It's not like that I have a boss or a deadline that is like coming up that I didn't choose for myself and, and stuff keeps just running away from me that I have no control over. It's all like self-imposed stress. Any day I don't, any week I don't have to upload a YouTube video. I don't have to do this live stream. And in the worst case, I could also drop out of university. I will be fine. I have several years of work experience now. Like I, I will be fine anyway, right? So it's extremely stressful. I'm extremely busy. I don't have free time. But uh, at the same time, it's again by choice. It's not on stress uh, uh, put onto me. And I think that is a massive difference. I, I think a lot of people uh, who want to try and achieve some of the things, learn some of the things like, you know, their goals are like read this book or uh, get this certificate they're doing it after work and, you know, a lot of people have kids and, and other commitments like that. Um, and, and they find it really hard. Uh, but I guess it's all about that management, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, I also jump between a lot of stuff and like, I have the freedom to work on whatever I want. Um, I, I pre-produce my life overflow videos, for example, because I couldn't do a day, uh, like a weekly schedule. I go through waves. I have, 
weeks where I'm extremely motivated to make videos. And then I have weeks where I either busy or I don't feel motivated to make videos, but I can always consistently release because I then produce like more during those times that fits well with my freelance work because obviously there's project based. So sometimes I have projects and sometimes I don't. And, um, by being able to kind of like, uh, like a task schedule or sometimes I do that task more, sometimes I do another task work, it works fine. But if I would be stuck or if I would be in like a framework with especially like family where there are so many external forces, it's your job with times and it's, uh, you know, a family that imposes a lot of stuff onto you, then being able to free up the time to follow a certificate, I find extremely hard and like mad respect for anybody that can like stick through that. Um, uh, I, I actually have no clue how these people will do that. Like, I, I cannot imagine myself be able to succeed um, with, with, with that kind of stress. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And actually this is a, a question that has been brought up in both of our chats now. Um, so, where do you find your clients? I'm an aspiring freelancer. Any basic tips for a developer or tech person in the freelance world? Yeah, I, to that, I always have a very unsatisfying answer uh, that I'm kind of lucky with um, my, the, the way I'm working. Um, I basically don't work directly for like clients. Um, I, I work basically through kind of an agency you can imagine, or like I have like a couple of companies that just um, need additional help. And so I work for them then for a client project and never work directly with the client. So a lot of this overhead of like talking to the client, getting those projects, getting those bills paid, uh, doing all that admin stuff falls away. It's, it's literally works this way that uh, this company asked me, Hey, we have a project coming up. It's this and that. Do you want to uh, do it? And I say, yes. And then I get like the scope and all the information and I get the source code or whatever. I do my stuff. I report I We chat, we interact. And then I hand off the report and say, here are my tickets done. So, and then I send my invoice and like all that admin stuff that is annoying and freelancing. I don't have. So I'm extremely lucky with that I have that. And I got that through somebody recommending me to somebody. Uh, just somebody said, Hey, this, this guy has some potential. Uh, maybe you can uh, check, check it out. And, and so that's how I got my foot into that door of kind of work gigs and they are out there, but I have no clue how to find them because I just got lucky that somebody recommended me, I guess networking is the answer to that, how, how to get that, but it's definitely not something I have ever planned or thought would happen. I was always on like a, a straight path with university and stuff to just become an employee and probably a developer actually. And uh, if like my gigs, how, how I get these, this work would fall away. I actually don't see myself continuing freelancing alone because that admin overhead and finding these clients and stuff like this seems absolutely extremely stressful and, and scary to me that I would probably just become an employee again. So not, not great advice there. <laughs> no, I mean, that's definitely like the, the reality of it though. And it's important to be realistic because a lot of people have like the dreams about, you know, being a freelancer, being an infosec, being all these different things. And the, you know, it looks pretty from the outside, but all the times it's, it's definitely a lot 
to, to manage. It's a lot of um, you know unknowns and a lot of things that you might not expect. And it's definitely good to hear a realistic perspective rather than just, a, oh, just do it. <laughs> just drop out of everything and become a freelancer and be your own boss and make yeah. $10,000 a day from your, from your pajamas, like, like a yeah. email scam. Yeah, my... I guess like my, my very privileged advice because you know like we don't have to pay for university and all that stuff in Germany so it's like pretty easy to follow like a straight career path like my my pattern of my I guess young still young career has always been that I have a straight clear path I always know kind of like my next step I was working towards and at the time it was like just do university and then apply for jobs and then this opportunity just opened up I've never planned for it I, I never like waited for that to happen or anything it just happened and then I just did took that step and took that opportunity and and so my advice would be make sure that you have like a like a plan that works out, it's maybe not ideal, but make sure that you are fine with that. And then if some opportunities open up on the side, like take, take them then. Um, but yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, do you have any uh, last words um, before we get going? Any last words? Mm, I guess uh, what I, if, if we have the time, I would be curious, like what is the kind of content uh, on you on videos you would like to see? Uh, because you have all also like kind of different backgrounds and I'm sure like I'm not covering uh, all the topics that you're interested in. So uh, if you could like imagine like a YouTube front page and, and there would be the videos that you want to see, like what would be the video you would like to click on and what kind of content with that video be said something you can think of something right now <laughs> it might also be a blog post or a book maybe on, on a topic most of what i watch is is just is uh defcon talks and watch mojo so watch i'm really having you to watch mojo <laughs> top five defcon talks yeah okay. <laughs> I, I would love that i would love i would love some really nicely produced countdown videos with like a very calming voice just you know, very surely talking about like, we're going to talk about the top five Colonel Vaughn's of 2019. Like, <laughs> I'd love I think, to uh, maybe some like uh, ASMR reverse engineering. Yeah, no, we're talking about ASMR. It's just like, um, it's really not what you're doing, but um, it's like, okay, so we're going to analyze the symbols in the book off that table <laughs> so in the past days you know i've been building this 8-bit computer and and like this sound seems to have been has some asmr uh, uh possibilities like people like it and it actually i don't know on the recording it also sounds kind of nice so it's when i clip the wires and i do this right next to the to the microphone so let me clip a wire and tell me if that is like good Good, like electronics ASMR or something. Okay. Okay. Actually, good. Ben Eater videos I did fall asleep to for a while. I was watching them. <laughs> I would put them on and be like, all right, let's just talk about how do you, you know, make a uh, a seven segment display decoder for five minutes where he explains the entire thing. Just like, all right, and just put me to sleep. That's that's a great, that's good content. And it I honestly, that's when I really started trying to learn computer stuff for trying to get a job when I was like, trying to get actually serious about this. I just watched YouTube videos like that and like, just got 
very obsessed with it. But that kind of stuff, though, like the sort of calming content that's not just hard technical stuff where it's like more human, that's definitely the stuff that I really like, which is why I've really appreciated your videos. Yeah, cool. Thanks. <laughs> okay, careful. Careful. Now listen. Clip the what? Oh, not sure if that was a wire or a toenail. It kind of sounded like an explosion. I like it. Oh. Uh, about about voice, one one last uh, thought that I've had. So I've always, oh, I'm pretty sure, I'm very convinced that I don't really have like a good like soothing voice or anything like this. It's like I don't know, like I, I never really like my voice on camera or anything. I don't think my voice is particularly like nice to listen to. However, what has shown me that if you have like thousands of people watching your videos, then even your most annoying voice that you don't like, there are people that like it. So if that's a lesson to learn for like insecurities or something, uh, I'm uh, I'm sure there are still people that still like it I'll, I'll definitely i can definitely agree that i don't like, like i don't know anyone that likes the sound of their own voice i don't think anybody likes hearing themselves recorded yeah um, it's, oh, it's, it's definitely weird yeah I, I don't sound like me to me when i hear me so uh, yeah sure I, I know i sound differently but also like my voice is not like you know like soothing or deep it doesn't have the bass you know like what, what what makes up like if if you think of like what is a nice soothing voice to listen to? That's not my voice. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> I don't think that was me. Someone's yeah. phone. It's an important phone call. But hey, it's uh, time to uh, get going. So um, thanks so much, Live Warfel, for joining us here, and thanks everybody who watched on either channel. Um, we do this podcast every week. Um, it's pretty much what you're hearing right now we kind of just talk about security news and we interview our favorite hackers and have them tell us our stories and do weird stuff so yeah you can follow us on twitter we're at thug crowd um or follow us on um, twitch we kind of just do this every week same time uh next week we're actually going to be talking to hexadecimate who has done a really cool project they're going to tell us about um, for crowdfunding FOIA requests to get information from the FBI. And so they've gotten quite a bit of information um, about a ton of different stuff, and it's going to be really cool to hear um, the whole process of how they actually did it because they've, they've raised quite a lot of money and have got um, a significant amount of stuff that would have never seen the light of day had they not crowdfunded it. So it's going to be awesome Very to talk. Cool. Um, and yeah, so shout out to everybody who watched us. Thanks everybody for gifting subs. Thanks to all of our Patreon people. And thanks to um, Live Overflow for coming and hanging out. Yeah, and, uh, thanks for having me again. XO for the whole time, putting Leap uh, ASCII art into the, one of the chat boxes. Matrix <laughs> chat. Uh -huh. Yes. Oh, and also um, another thing um, real quick. Our Matrix challenge was retired um, this weekend, um, the last one. Um, thanks to everybody who's, who actually solved it and came in and joined our chats. Um, we will have another one out soon. Um, we have a couple of other um, challenges we're trying to get together, um, but we will be um, releasing that on Twitter. So if you do want to come in and, and join our, our weird gang of people just talking talking on, on the internet, um, we'll have a uh, way for you to do that soon. Um, also, um, The Blind Hacker uh, has a stream. Is it Saturday? Is, um, I think so. I was pasting links to it earlier in chat. Yes. Uh, we'll just retweet what he said, but thanks to uh, the blind hacker and everything he does. 
Um, yeah. Um, oh, the Discord invite is invalid. Um, pseudo moose. We don't have a Discord. Zero um, Discord now. Discord's gone, and the Shaolin challenge is now done. Yep. yep. So um, someone will probably do a write up on the uh, challenge that we just had. Um, <laughs> didn't get leaked on Reddit finally, which is good. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We will see you all next week. Thanks for hanging out, and good night. Play the uh, music. Peace. Lawyer. Bye. Lawyer. Lawyer. Lawyer.